At the end of September, the State Education Department declared a prohibition on schools purchasing or using certain facial recognition technology while still allowing for certain biometric screening tools to be used by districts around New York. For more on this evolving landscape, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Luis DeCandia, the Chief Privacy Officer for the State Education Department. Welcome to the show, Louise. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. So first off, when we think about facial recognition technology in and around school buildings, how could it theoretically be used in New York if districts were given, say, wide latitude? Well, before the legislature passed uh, State Technology Law 106B, which prohibited all biometrics in schools starting in December 2020, it was actually used, it seemed primarily for um, surveillance purposes or for security purposes, I should say. Certain technologies were selling this to schools to check um, who was coming into the school and make sure that all the security protocols were being abided by, that people with maybe you know certain court orders wouldn't be allowed into the school and check things like that. So that was pretty much how schools were getting introduced, I think, to facial recognition technology. And under the determination from the state education department, how, if at all, can facial recognition tech be used now? It can't. It can't at all. So what happened was in 2016, Lockport School District bought some facial recognition technology security systems. And as they were proceeding to implement it, a group of parents became aware of it and became more and more interested in it and advocated against it. They got the backing of the New York Civil Liberties Union, which sued us, and that is what ultimately led to State Technology Law 106B, prohibiting at that time, I think there's a little confusion here, all biometrics in schools, except for obviously the exception of getting uh, teachers fingerprinted so that they could start their work, and if they agreed to through their union or individually, they could use FRT as an attendance methodology for schools. But with those two exceptions, which are for adults, For students, there was no biometrics, which is a little extreme. That means no fingerprint biometrics with a lot of, obviously, we all use in our technologies pretty much, um, no facial recognition technology. So schools really now are being authorized to use some biometrics, but no facial recognition technology. Yeah, as part of that determination that we've been talking about so far, there was carve-outs for certain biometric tools. Can you expand a little bit on how you envision that potentially using, whether it's uh, transportation-related or food service-related or other uh, ID verification parts of a, a student's day? Sure. One of the companies we interviewed when we were preparing the report and trying to figure out where the decision was going to land was a company that used biometrics for lunch, as you sort of mentioned, for the uh, child nutrition program. There's a couple of really good benefits that we learned about when we worked with these companies and spoke with them. One is that it speeds up the whole process of getting kids in and out through the lunch uh, payment system. But previously, sometimes the kids who are in the back of the line were never really getting any time for lunch. They couldn't go out and uh, go outside or have any recreation as part of their lunch time. They were just sort of getting through the process. So it sped it up exponentially. And then, of course, we have been talking the last couple of years about food shaming. That's sort of an issue in child nutrition the last couple of years. So it also gets rid of that. Nobody knows who's on the free lunch program, who's getting a a breakfast or reduced meal. It's just a fingerprint. So everybody's equal on the lunch uh, counter now. So going back to the facial recognition 
technology decision. Uh, about three years ago, as you mentioned, there was that state law put in place halting the use of facial recognition software in New York, largely stemming from, I think, the Lockport incident, uh, until the technology and its utilization at school buildings around the state could be studied. What sort of review was conducted before issuing the determination that we've been talking about? Well, the review was the research done with ITS and the report that came out in August. And as you can see, that's pretty much comprehensive. We really tried to delve into all the latest uh, reports and law journals that address biometrics and the use that it has on students, um, whether or not it's equitable. And then also, we did a survey, we meaning state ed, we surveyed our school districts to see how often they were using biometrics and whether they had any specific concerns, as well as ITS did a much broader survey, and I think they got well over a 1,000 responses to figure out what concerns people had and how much it was being used in the field. So then what was the root of the ban on the facial recognition technology? What in the report led you guys to decide that this was not something you wanted uh, school districts to utilize? I think you have to weigh the benefit of the technology versus its problems. And it's still not necessarily a very equitable technology. It doesn't uh, seem to register people of color, uh, transgender people, older people, younger people, which for the most part we're talking about younger people whose face may change somewhat substantially year to year. It just doesn't treat them the same. It has a lot of false positives versus the few benefits of using it for uh, a security system for schools. It didn't seem to weigh out in favor of the benefits. Well, you mentioned some of the potential downsides, especially the, this idea of false positives with marginalized communities, whether it's uh, people of color or, say, the, the transgender students. But in reading the report, it seems like the analysis is problematic twofold. One, that it relies on some outdated reports, some that are, say, five, six years old in an area where technology is constantly evolving. And two, there are also counterexamples, though, in the report where they talk about how it has been successfully used and how uh, some of the ways that we've thought about this as being problematic are, are no longer relevant. So is it possible that this report is kind of just recycling old talking points, say, from the Civil Liberties Union and doesn't necessarily represent the best evaluation of the technology? I don't think so, David. I think the report really tried to reflect on a lot of different studies and weigh them, including the most recent White House report, which included AI and some biometric studies. The report also acknowledges that this technology is certainly improving. And one day it may need to be readdressed and looked at again and figured out whether we can actually use it as a technology for schools. Uh, I think several reports that are referenced in that report from August clearly state that it is definitely improving, but it's not quite there yet. There's a NIST standard that they've set for AI, and I think that that's helping to improve it, but I don't think it's it's quite there yet. It just doesn't weigh, when you weigh the balance, it hasn't won out over the undesirable parts of, of the technology. Well, given the evolution of the technology, is this something where you imagine the state education department will do a future review every year? Or is this something where you feel like you've said your say and unless the legislature compels you to do another review, this is it for now? I think this is it 
for a little while. Right now, as you can imagine, the focus is now starting to turn to AI. So I think this is the be-all and end-all for FRT for a little while, but um, we are certainly open to look at it again if some report comes out or some information that it is a much more viable technology and that we should take another look at it. And what about the cost of this? Is this something that schools, for the most part, if they wanted to, could actually afford to purchase? Or is some of this stuff so cost prohibitive, the conversation we're having is basically a moot point since they maybe couldn't even afford it? I think that's a really good question, David. I th- my understanding is that most schools probably could not afford this technology on their own accord. Most schools that were using it were buying it through the Smart Schools Bond Act, so they were getting funding for the technology through that method. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Luis DeCandia. She is the Chief Privacy Officer for the State Education Department. Luis, thanks for visiting us in the studio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.